Hello and welcome to episode 64 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Saturday, December 24th, Christmas Eve, 2016. We'll be unwrapping presents at the end of the show for the Duke Basketball program. Um, but before we get into that, uh, I'll introduce myself and my co-hosts. I am Sam Klein, uh, coming to you this week from Vail, Colorado. I am joined uh, by my usual co-hosts, Jason Evans, who I believe is at home in Atlanta. Yes, Jason? I, I am. I am at home in Atlanta. And Donald Wine, who is in Texas. That is correct. Uh, hello, everybody. And uh, I am in uh, lovely Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas, uh, with my family for Christmas. But Donald, Donald has been on the move this week. Yes, I have. That's right. That's right. Donald, where else have you been? Uh, well, I was in Cameron on Monday. That's a Ooh, good start. Very nice. Let's, uh, we'll, we'll get right into that. We have a couple things we want to cover today. Um, there's obviously been a lot of news around Duke and the ACC this week, mainly Grayson Allen's suspension stemming from his third tripping incident of his college career, which happened on Wednesday night against Elon. And um, subsequently, the news out of uh, Chapel Hill that UNC has received a third notice of allegations stemming from the cheating scandal of theirs that went on for a period of time that we can argue about. Um, so what we'll do today to start is talk about the, the last few games for Duke, um, beginning with, with Donald's reaction from being there for the Tennessee State game. And then we'll have that lead into a discussion about Grayson Allen and all the issues surrounding him. And then we'll finish up with UNC. Um, so does that sound good to you guys? Sounds good to me. Yeah, but Great. we're not going to go for very – I mean, these were two games. These are uh, – not that they're meaningless, but uh, let's, let's talk about them quickly. Everyone wants to talk about Grayson Allen – and the cheaters over in Chapel Hill. Those are the only two things happening in the college basketball universe if you're a Duke fan, or, or anyone for that sure. matter right now. So, sure. yeah, so Donald, tell, tell us about Tennessee State, man. So I, I got a last-minute ticket uh, to go down to Durham um, on Monday night for the Tennessee game, Tennessee State game. Uh, so I drove down from D.C., takes about four hours, and um, the only thing that I wanted to do was check out kind of the new uh, parts of Cameron. Um, you know, as, as we all know, Cameron... Uh, and and Brooksfield at Wallace Wade Stadium have uh, undergone massive renovations, and this was my first time actually checking out both. Um, so I got into town a little bit early and was able to walk around the plaza, the new plaza that there is between um, Cameron and the uh, football stadium, um, and it looks magnificent. Um, I mean, a year ago, it was basically a pile of rubble, um, and you could see kind of the inner workings of what was going to be the finished product, but... Um, the Blue Devil Tower just looks amazing. The plaza, you know, connecting uh, the two stadiums uh, is very different than what it used to be. Um, there's a lot of steps and a lot of uh, uh, view, view vantage points that you can see into the stadium uh, and give a nice little experience of what they're doing. They're actually undergoing more re uh, renovations this, uh, this uh, winter and spring on the other side of the football stadium, mainly uh, where the alumni, the president's box was. Um, and I think they're upgrading the bathroom situation on that side of the stadium as well. But um, it looks really great. Um, I, I, was, I was glad that I was able to get down there. Um, this is a streak that's gone back to my freshman year of college. I've seen every single Duke team play um, since 2000, um, in, at least one time in Cameron. So, uh, and also in every calendar year. So both streaks continue um, uh, in that regard. And I think that, that was, it was really cool that I was able to get down to see the new parts of everything now the inside of cameron it's it just weird like you kind of walk in and you and my instincts were to you know to go the normal routes that i normally take in cameron and a lot of those on the uh back side have changed 
um, because there's more staircases uh, for added uh, access to upstairs. Um, there's actually a little bit more of a, a hallway um, so that you can get into um, the uh, sections 18 and 19. Um, and 17 a lot easier. So it's a lot of more room. It's, it's not, it doesn't feel as cramped um, in the hallways as it used to um, back in the day. But um, that's also kind of a, a little nitpicky thing that some people may appreciate and some people may be longing for the original. But uh, all in all, it was a great experience. Uh, I love the new stadium. I want to get back down there hopefully in the next couple of months. Uh, and, and it wasn't a bad game. So the game, uh, transitioning into it, was kind of a uh game it was the first game back from a long layoff for finals and um i'll kick it to you guys but it seemed like just everybody was off that game there was um not a lot of flow tennessee state came to play um and but in the end we pulled it off but it was just kind of one of those games that you could see the rust in, in everybody from harry giles debuting to even grayson uh and luke just did not have the stuff that they usually do um sam what did you think yeah, I had the same impression that you did, just that it, it took the team a little while to get into rhythm, and also that Tennessee State was um, playing pretty aggressively. They were obviously excited to be playing in Cameron, and and there was, uh, you know, the ESPN did that whole special in the middle of the game about Tennessee State arriving the day before to really get their bearings and, and get a sense for what it was going to be like in there. Um, so I, I was disappointed, certainly, that the team, you know, against a, against an opponent who's ranked in the hundreds in Ken Palm, um, wasn't able to pull away early, but I was prepared to chalk it up just to, uh, just to the rust of, of being away from finals. And, and also, you know, it's sort of the lingering stress about Harry Giles coming back and, and how he was going to perform. And, and honestly, you know, we didn't really see anything from him in that Tennessee state game. I don't think he logged a, I think he logged a four trillion in, in that game. No, so no, he, did, he, he did attempt a shot. The field goal. He attempted he a shot. He did attempt. The first, his first touch of the ball. ball, yeah, his first touch of the ball. That's right. Oh, right, a, a rather long one, as I recall, right? Correct. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. So, so he's and and even from the Elon game, he's still a work in progress as far as getting him back integrated with this team and, and getting in the flow of college basketball. So that was that was challenging for him. I was, you know, unlike Jason Tatum's debut, where he seemed like he was more in rhythm, and certainly there are different cases. Harry Giles hasn't played a competitive game of basketball in two years. Jason Tatum was healthy in the preseason. So um, slightly different scenarios going on there. But, you know, I, I thought, okay, we can, we can chalk this one up to them being rusty from finals and, and all the, those other factors. Elon was, was much more concerning to me because the same problems persisted two days later when you think their legs should be under them. And Elon is, is at least by the metrics, even worse than, than Tennessee State is. Um, that was kind of my general take from that. Jason, what did you want to add to those games? Well, I, I mean, it's tough to it's always tough to evaluate the games right after um, the the uh, exam break because the guys, um, you know, they still practice and stuff, but but the team really does focus on um, making sure that they they are where they need to be in the classroom um, around this time of year because exams are really important. You, you don't want to you don't want guys failing classes and and being ineligible and and also. This is Duke, and we take our academics seriously. So I, I think every year we, we see a game where, where Duke performs way worse than you would have expected, just looks rusty, looks maybe a little less focused than they should um, because the guys have been uh, expending their mental energy in the classroom um, uh, as they should. Um, but, but I think, you know, if I can, if I can bundle both Tennessee State and Elon together, um, 
I, I was a little surprised at uh, at the fact that it lingered for two games. Um, uh, it, it seemed like we uh, we we played okay in spurts, but for the most part, um, you know, it just wasn't the effort we're used to, to seeing from Duke. We weren't nearly as crisp offensively in either one of those games as as we typically have been uh, against Elon. We we hit thirty six percent of our shots against Tennessee State. We hit thirty seven percent of our shots. Um, and we trailed. We trailed in the second half of both games. Exactly. I was just going to say the exact same thing. And and yeah. uh, and I'll tell you something that that really really concerns me. Um, after the Elon game, and and we're not going to get into Grayson Allen yet, but after the Elon game, Luke Kennard in the locker room was interviewed, and and he said that some of the guys aren't really buying in yet. That they aren't. Um, they aren't you know, playing as a team, that they're playing more as individuals. I want to read you guys the, the quote that Luke Kennard said. He said, we have to become a group that is all consumed in just Duke. And by that I'm saying we have to buy in. Every guy on our team inside, they have individual goals. And that's a great thing to have. But sometimes those individual goals may tend to sneak up and take over what's it really, what it's really all about. And that's about winning as a group. So, guys, that's a terrifying quote from the guy who's been Duke's best player this year. My friend that's... sent me that quote, and, and uh, this I guess it was shortly after the game when he heard it, um, and he sent me that quote, and I was just like, the first question was like, who is he talking about? Um, and there's a lot of signs that it was pointing towards one or two players on the team, but uh, just the, the fact that he's mentioning that in general in December uh, is not good. It's not a good quote. Oh yeah, and he's not I, he's not one of the captains, right? I mean, Luke Kennard's a sophomore. He's obviously experienced. He played most of the minutes last year, and he's been the best player on the team this year. But it's concerning that that's coming from one of the underclassmen, when presumably Duke has three upper class players in Allen, Jones, and Jefferson, who should be the ones leading this team, and and who should be saying things like that, and and should be getting in guys' ears faster than it takes the problems to seep out onto the court and to and to then manifest themselves in, you know, pedestrian 10-point wins against teams that aren't going to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and, and, and let me add this. So uh, the fact that Luke Kennard said it publicly does not mean that Jefferson and Jones and Allen aren't saying it privately or individually to guys. We, we don't know. And, um, Certainly not, yeah. And, and uh, you can that's, make, that's fair. Right, and you can make an argument that um, maybe it isn't the smartest thing for Luke Kennard to be airing Duke's laundry in public that uh, Coach K especially really believes in um, what happens in the locker room stays in the locker room and uh, you know and and these guys not um, uh, giving anything away uh, in the outside world but but although you know, Jason he might have he might have just been participating in the Festivus airing of grievances which should have <laughs> yes. occurred yesterday <laughs> yeah yes it's it's that's very 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 possible I, I will say it is hard not to feel like this year's team is operating under like some kind of curse or something. I mean, we've gotten little glimpses of what could be, um, but, you know, especially like, look, in the preseason when Tatum and Bolden um, were both starters in the preseason before they got hurt, um, when, when, when we kept on hearing that Harry Giles was going to be the second coming of Chris Weber um, before Grayson Allen's toe, uh, hurt toe and, and perhaps other issues, took him from being the 
the preseason player of the year to a guy who's at best the third best player in the team and maybe even worse than that. Uh, it's starting to feel a little bit like uh, one of these years where everything that's supposed to happen doesn't happen and things never come together. Now, it's early. I'm not pushing the panic button by any stretch of the imagination, um, but but it's it's hard not to look at what's been going on with this team and go, wow, geez, is is something like, is this going to be one of these years where we go, God, it just never happened for us. I hope that's not the case, but I, I want to point out a couple things. Um, this club has yet to score 100 points on anyone. Not that that matters, but, I mean, remember in the preseason? <laughs> Donald, Donald said we were going to score 100 points 10 times. I said we were going to score 100 points 7 and we, times. And we still can. There's, th- yes. there's more than 10 games left in the season, so don't, don't yes. sell my prediction short. Yeah, but but the season has not been what we thought, and I'm I, I want to I, I for some reason have gone back. I'm recalling 2014. Do you guys remember who the preseason number one team was in 2014? It was Kentucky. Probably a oh no oh it right. was Kentucky. Who, who was on that? Who was on that Kentucky team? That was the the Harrison twins were freshmen, um, and they had a, they had a few guys that the were returning players. They were the preseason number one team. Um, by the final poll of the regular season, they were completely unranked. They'd gone 24 and 10. They, they made the NCAA tourney, but they were a number eight seed. This was the team that was preseason number one. And then and they, they, they ultimately made the final four. They, they made the final regular season. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they went on a, a, a NCAA tournament run and they, and they made the final game. But um, I imagine this feels a little bit like what that felt like for them, which was. Everyone was so excited. Everyone was sure it was going to be a great, amazing team. And the regular season wasn't what they expected. Now, it's worth pointing out that Duke hasn't even had a bad regular season yet. <laughs> We've only lost one game. And to another top five team by, yeah, by a buzzer beater. By a buzzer beater. <laughs> We've beaten some fairly decent teams. We've looked really good. Everyone says we're still absolutely a number one seed and the favorite to win the national title. And we're still just barely getting guys back. Um, Giles, you know, Giles is going to do nothing but get better. There's no question about that. Bolden, um, a lot of people are concerned about the way Bolden has been playing. He supposedly still has a walking boot that he's using a lot of the time that he, he's unable to, he's not practicing fully yet, you know, probably not practicing very much at all. Um, so I, 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 I feel like. And Alan wasn't practicing much between games either when he had that injury. He, he was doing, they're doing, giving them the, uh. Uh, exactly. Curry treatment where he would basically uh, not practice and then uh, play on games. Well, and, and you know that means that the practices haven't been at the level, the intensity that, that Coach K wants them to be at. We haven't had enough players to have full practices yet. Uh, you know, the notion, it's easy to look at this and go, oh, because of the injuries and such, these guys are a month or so behind or two months behind. Well, the reality is the whole team is probably a month or two behind. Um, so like I said, I'm not hitting the panic button, but, but it's hard not to, at this moment right now, feel like, you know, oh my God, are we cursed? Um, and, and, and with that, and, and I think it's an astute observation, with that, can we talk about the, the worst thing I think that's happened to the team so far this year, which is, which is Grayson Allen's, um, you know, behavioral issues? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's so, so to be honest, so as we... As I was going to say, I, Go I fully expect everyone who's been listening to the podcast pro- uh, probably skipped everything we just did and came to this moment, because this is all that Duke fans are talking about right now.
So let me set the stage here just a little bit, knowing that, that we do need to get into it. Um, Wednesday night against Elon, Grayson Allen was trying to defend um, Elon guard Stephen St. Anna and, um, and pulled a move on him that we've seen him do a couple times last season, which was that he, he tripped him with his, with his leg. Um, Santa Anna fell over. Grayson Allen, for a moment, sort of feigned frustration that, like the, that, that something had gotten away from him. Um, and then he was sent to the bench. They reviewed the call. They called a technical on him. Uh, and while he was sitting on the bench, he, he seemed really upset, um, was screaming and, at himself, and, and the coaching staff was trying to calm him down. It was, it was not a pretty scene for Allen or for the Duke team. Uh, and then after the game, um, Allen was initially pulled from the, from the locker room before the media came in. Coach K had him go apologize to the Elon player and the Elon head coach. That night, Coach K um, got a little testy with the media, said that he, you know, he didn't want um, people disciplining his players for him. He was going to handle that the way that he knows how. And then subsequently, the, the very next morning, pretty early in the morning, um, he, Coach K came out and announced that Allen would be suspended indefinitely. This was Duke's last game against non-conference uh, opposition this season. They start ACC play next week against Virginia Tech. So all games from here on out are conference games that the first some number of which Grayson Allen will miss until he has sorted out whatever issues Coach K seems to think he has. So um, there's kind of a lot to unpack here because um, there was what happened on the court. There was what happened on the sideline and there was kind of the national reaction to it. And, you know, it was the same night that Kentucky was playing Louisville in what was an excellent game. I hope you guys watched it afterwards. Um, but that game was totally overshadowed by Grayson Allen and and the Duke program and Coach K. So uh, I'll give it to Donald first. Donald, just your overall impression of the Grayson Allen situation, and feel free to touch on any of the any of the different pockets of it where you want. So I'm going to touch on two things, and then I'll kick it over to Jason. Um, so the first part I want to talk about is I, this is a problem now. Um, you know, this is something that, that obviously you think, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's something that, you know, you can't excuse, you can't, you can't defend. Um, it's, it's problematic that this is happening again. Um, we thought this was in the past. We thought, um, this was something that he had put behind him from last year and was ready to move on. Um, and that's clearly has, has not been the case. So, um, that is disappointing. I'll, 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 that's easy to say, so I'm going to put that out there in front. The one thing that I really want to focus on, and this is having said all that about not being able to defend in, in something that's reprehensible, I will defend him against the media because I think that um, if this had happened to another player who played for another team, the reaction would not have been like he shot the Pope. Uh, and I think that was problematic of the media as well. I think Coach K did the right thing. In reviewing the incident, having a calm head about it, and making the right decision the next day. The fact that people in the media were basically calling for him to be suspended from anywhere from two games to the rest of the season um, for something that we had, if you think about the actual incident, the, just, the, just the tripping incident, just the one separated from everything else, we, ha- we saw something worse happen on Monday Night Football the day before, or two days prior where a guy punched another guy on the field of play and was ejected, and there was no other talk about suspension or fines or anything like that. He punched the guy with his fist, and 
was ejected, and that was the end of it. They said, "Dumb play, let's move on." It sounded. I, I landed um, halfway through the game and turned on my phone, and it, but from the text messages and the social media messages I had received, it seemed like Grayson Allen had shot somebody. Um, and I think that reaction from the media, that reaction from fans who clearly have it, have, have it out for us um, or out for Grayson, um, I think was did him a disservice. I think it did the team disservice. Um, and I'm talking about the players on the team because they have to answer the reaction. And no matter what, the reaction, the, the, the answer is never going to satisfy those people. Um, and I think that's a terrible situation to put those players in. I think it's a terrible situation to put uh, Grayson Allen in. I mean, he, he was obviously remorseful after the game, but he, I, I don't like the way the media reacted to it, and I don't like how it spawned all of this and how people are now saying that. I mean, now people were talking about um, that he suspended. Oh, well, of course Coach K would suspend him uh, for the, like, you know, the – Boston colleges and the and the Virginia Techs of the world. They're not going. He's not going to spend them for the rest of the season against uh, UNC. Um, so they got what they asked for, and now they're pissed off that it's not at the right well, time. And, and by the uh, way, how 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 absurd is that argument? Because I've right. heard that as well. Yeah. I want to be like 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 Coach K had some control over when Grayson Allen was going to wig out and trip right. a guy and get suspended. Like he right. went, oh wait, this is the perfect moment. It's it's so stupid. But yeah. can I really react quickly to something? Yes, you were go talking ahead. About? That was the end of my I reaction. Think, yes, I I think Grayson Allen's reaction on the bench, which which a lot of people have talked about, um, uh, you know, you called a temper tantrum. I, I I think that was Grayson Allen coming to grips with and reacting to what had just happened, and his awareness of how the media and how people would see him. Um, uh, Grayson Allen was sitting there, and he knew that what he had just done. Um, had had taken his hopes of being the national player of the year. Think of how significant it is to be national player of the year in college basketball. One guy wins it every year. It is really, really hard to do. It is a huge, huge deal. Every single guy who's won national player of the year in college basketball is a household name. He knew that his hopes of winning player of the year nationally were gone. His hopes of winning ACC player of the year may be gone at this point. Um, he is going to endure endless scrutiny and questions, Donald, like you were saying. He, he almost instantly knew that he would carry this with him for years, maybe for his entire public life. I mean, think about this. Uh, he could win a second ring. He could become a first-round NBA draft pick. He could have a hugely successful NBA career, and he would still hear tripping jokes all the time. He will forever be, for the rest of his life, he will be the guy who trips other players. That's so sad and unfair. But it's, it's yeah. on him. It's on him. I, I, he is now, along, really quick, he's now alongside DeMarcus Cousins and Draymond Green as the biggest bad boys in basketball. He doesn't deserve that, and that's wait, not who he is. Get, let go, me interject go, for just a second. Um, you just mentioned uh, DeMarcus Cousins. Literally the night before this, he was ejected from a game. It was a wild scene. He was, he was first ejected from a game because they thought he had – spit his mouthpiece out at the opposing team bench after he was going off for 52 points. He throws the biggest tantrum, runs, sprints to the locker room, and then they meet and decide that, no, he didn't actually spit his mouthpiece out. It just fell out of his mouth. He is now unejected. And people were laughing at that reaction. They were laughing at the fact that he was basically cursing out the refs, that he threw a tantrum, that he ran off the, ran off the, the court, 
and then came back onto a hero's welcome. And then the next night, a young kid does basically the same thing on the bench, and people vilify him. And like I said, you know, in my earlier statement, it's because of the jersey that he was wearing that the reactions were so different. Draymond Green, people laugh at the fact that he kicks people every single night. Um, it's almost a joke. And the, you, you come to expect it. You know, if you think about back in college, there's another great athlete who had a tendency to hit players in the groin. Chris Paul, that has followed him to the NBA. We don't talk about that. I think that the jersey has a lot to do with the reaction, and I think that is also unfair. Yeah, I, I, I was saying to friends right before the game, because I, I had a friend ask me, like, because Alan had the, had the issue from the, uh, from the game before that wasn't, it wasn't like a tripping thing. Um, but one of my friends asked me why, <laughs> why, he's, like, he's, why he's such a jerk, a, a friend who's not a Duke fan. And I was like, I don't know. I don't think he's really a jerk. I think he gets a bad rap. And, you know, the, the tripping things from last year were certainly bad looks for him. But they happen if you were watching those games, they were games in which, um, you know, he was getting fouled all over the place and, and they weren't calling it because just because I think because of his aggressive style of play. Um, and, you know, he'll he'll get it together and he'll be fine. And then, boom, you know, 20 minutes after I send that to my friend, um, he commits what I think was really was it was a really bad a really bad move on his part. Um, I didn't get the sense from watching the Elon game that, yeah, the Elon players were were tough and they were, you know, playing a good game against Duke, but they weren't doing it in a dirty way uh, and certainly not with the same aggressiveness and with the same lack of attention from the referees that I thought happened in those couple of ACC games last year that Allen was caught tripping in. Um, so I thought that this was like the worst look for him and then it just, it just carried on and on and on. And I... Um, I not on the same stage, but I have a bit of personal experience um, with <laughs> behavioral issues, let's say. Uh, and and I have, you know, when I was a kid, I reacted to a couple situations the way that Alan reacted on the bench, where it's not it's not that moment when you make the mistake that's bad, um, but it looks even worse when you know when you realize the the results of your actions, when you realize that the mistake you've made. Um, like Jason said, is going to is going to follow you for a while and is and, and is going to linger, um, and that's what Alan was reacting to, and I and I could see it. Um, you know, it, it, that that was the worst part for him, and it was the worst part for all of us because because as Jason said, it was that realization that um, now this is a this is a thing that isn't going away, and that folks won't stop talking about it, even if we stop talking about it here. And and I imagine that we here on the Duke Basketball Report podcast will stop talking about it at some point because he'll come back and he'll be a good player and. Um, you know, Duke has an interesting season ahead of them. Um, but, you know, national media types and it was it didn't matter which sports media outlet you opened on Wednesday night or Thursday morning or even into today. Um, ESPN, USA Today, CBS, everything. They were all talking about Grayson Allen. They were all giving their opinions. And most of the opinions were the kid needs to be suspended. It needs to be suspended for a long time. And and yeah, that that some of the reactions might be over the top and might be unnecessary. There was um, there was a lot of chatter right after the game because if you flipped over to the Kentucky game, Jason Williams was was on the halftime show at the Kentucky game and was talking about um, how Allen needed to be suspended for five games. Um, and a lot of folks were reacting to that, maybe sounding excessive, but but that's that's the tone that that the you know general college basketball media has taken, uh, and and Allen is going to have to deal with that, and it really you know it, it really stinks for him. <laughs> I was going to say really quick, um, uh, I, I want to address the penalty and, I, I, you know, in a minute I want to get back and talk about, sure. you know, what caused it and Grayson and, and who he is as a person. But 
Um, at first, I was I was shocked that K let him play in the second half, but then I realized that Coach K doesn't have instant replay to look at during the game, <clears throat> so he 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 didn't really necessarily know exactly what had happened, and I think that's why we got a very different reaction from him the next morning. But I I want to praise um, the master uh, of of all things, Coach K, for what I think is is a really smart decision of of this indefinite suspension. No one in the media can really scream, that's not strict enough, he didn't do it the right way. I mean, sure, rival fans are going to say stuff, but, you know, of course they are. But this is Duke, and there are people who hate Duke. But, but the media and, and, uh, and the collective voice of college basketball, an indefinite suspension is, is the perfect response. You can't criticize Coach K. You can't criticize Duke in any way for doing that kind of suspension. It allows this to die down a bit, before he announces when Grayson will return. Um, personally, I, I, I think a, two games would be um, uh, an appropriate suspension. I mean, remember that we've got, you know, a 10-day break between games now from the 21st to the 31st. So it's going to feel like it's been a while before Duke even plays Virginia Tech. Um, and then uh, I could see sitting him one additional game, um, uh, the game against Georgia Tech that we have, right? Is it Georgia Tech or BC? It's Georgia Tech, then BC, right? right? Georgia Tech. Yeah. Yeah, so I could see sitting against Georgia Tech. Um, and then the reason I don't want it to be three games, first of all, I think that's excessive. Um, Draymond Green in the NBA kicks people in the nuts two or three or four times and gets you know, a one-game suspension at some point. Um, the notion that Grayson Allen would get more than a game or two seems crazy to me. Um, but even beyond that, I want it to be no more than two games because I want his first game back to be in Cameron. I don't want it to be on the road. Uh, I think that'd be really, you know, good for him to be embraced by the crowd, which you know he will be, um, because road games for Grayson Allen and for this Duke team are going to be extra difficult. Be <laughs> no. Yes. Yeah. Every single rival fan of Duke, and more importantly, every single team we face will do everything they can to get into Grayson's head. He will. There'll be taunts. Other teams are going to give him tons of dirty, cheap shots. You know they will. Because they want him to get angry and they want to Just provoke like they a reaction. Did last year, if you recall that Louisville game where they, he got punched in the chest and like went scrambling for a loose ball, and Coach K almost like had almost split into two because the refs tried to call a foul on Grayson Allen for being punched. And the thing about it is, you can't really react to it. You can't you can't sit there and say, "Oh well, you know he's getting a bad rap." When and, and guys were exploiting that on a nightly basis, and I think that's kind of why. You know, we had some of those instances last year. Yeah, everyone is going to try and get a reaction out of him, try and get a rise out of him because they know it would be a really big deal and that it would probably be, it could be the end of his season, could be the end of his career. Grayson Allen trips another player. It, you know, it could be a really, it could be very difficult for Duke to bring him back at all. Uh, and I'm serious about that. Um, so uh, I, I wonder if this may become something where, you know, a bunker mentality where the entire team comes together and rallies around protecting Grayson Allen because he can't protect himself anymore. Um, and, and, and I, I have this hope that maybe these guys will, will become, come together as a team even more because one of theirs has been, um, uh, you know, is, like I say, is unable to defend himself and that they need to defend him for them. Um, and for a team that may be struggling with some chemistry problems, Maybe this is an important defining moment for them that that will 
that will make them gel a little bit better. I also want to point out regarding that really quickly. Uh, so supposedly, uh, Emil Jefferson and Jason Tatum are spending Christmas together. That Jefferson took Tatum home with him, and supposedly Matt Jones and Marcus Bolden are spending Christmas together. It's it's reversed. Now, I don't know. Tatum uh, J- uh, Jefferson. Oh, I got it backwards. Yeah, he's going to St. Louis to be with Tatum's family. Oh, okay, okay. But but the, but it's that player combination. Um, I think that's really interesting. Um, the two of the team captains are going with two of the freshmen. Um, and and uh, maybe that's part of Coach K's way of of getting this chemistry together a little bit better. I think um, we may see a different Duke team coming out of the break. Um, not that the Duke team we've seen hasn't been great, <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I hope maybe um, the team may really come together and rally around this moment and and rally around each other um, and perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps this team will be the, the world beater that we expected them to be. I just wanted to add on the topic of the suspension that the other good thing about it being an indefinite suspension is that Coach K controls when Allen comes back and Duke controls, you know, sort of the the uh, the news about that. They'll, there will be certainly speculation about which game he'll come back for, but I wouldn't be surprised if he just shows up in a game at some point down the road um, and, yep, and with, with no announcement. And so the first opportunity, so they won't have, you know, it, it won't, it won't be like it was with Harry Giles where ESPN was able to send like the full complement of, of its, um, of its college basketball media to the game to, to be monitoring it and talking about it. Because honestly, against Tennessee state, it seemed like on the broadcast, it was a distraction from what was actually happening on the floor. Like Jeff Goodman was only there to be reporting about Grayson Allen or not, sorry, not about Grayson Allen, about, about Harry Giles. Harry Giles. Yeah. And, and they had to, you know, they had a whole, they ran a whole segment about it and, and it was a big deal. And then he ultimately, right, played four minutes, missed one shot and did nothing else. Um, so ESPN will only be able to sort of preempt their, um, their coverage of Allen returning to the game, which means that the first time that Duke will really be able to address it will be in a hopefully calm post-game press conference, whenever that may be, one, two, three games down the road. And Coach K will have a statement prepared, and and the whole thing will be a lot smoother rather than you know having the ACC come out and say it's going to be two or three games, whatever, and um, and then having everybody react to it before the game and and having everybody get riled up to see Grayson Allen. Um, you know, it, it 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 might even help Coach K if he if he dresses Allen for each of the games that he's suspended, just because you know the the suspension is a is a Duke thing. There's no sort of official um, notion to it. Uh, he's he's just he, it's like a coach's decision did not play. So right. um, I think that I think that that's another aspect of it that Coach K is handling really well. And and I should say that I agreed with Jason about how um, Coach K didn't have the benefit of seeing the instant replay during the um, during halftime or like immediately following the game to see how bad it was. You know, he was in game. He and was it's coaching. not that bad. Um, it, by the way, it's not that bad. <laughs> sure. I mean, it's bad. Um, it's bad because of the context. Of he's done this before. It's uh, as an isolated singular incident. I mean, it's like it's a no, it's a complete non-story. Right, right. But 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 that he did at his first ability, which was basically the very next morning, um, come out and say what he thought about the replay because he had opportunity to watch it and digest it and think about it. And it was the probably the most level-headed version of that that we could get in a timely fashion. And he also said if he had seen the reaction in real time. 
he would have had changes about you know how he played the second half and basically insinuated that uh, he would have kept him on the bench longer to start the second half if he had seen it, uh, it seen the tantrum in real time. So um, again, like a lot of people were were questioning why he threw him back in the game. And it's, yeah, like you guys said, it's because he probably didn't see the reaction. He probably wasn't told about it because they were focusing on trying to win that ball game and not necessarily on a temper tantrum. So, um, uh, yeah, I think he, I think everything that Coach K did um, was perfect in the fact that he responded the way he wanted to respond when he got the full-fledged uh, information and there was nobody and he made the right, you know, the right call for the team and the program. So. Uh, I think that was, I think you can't really, uh, people who were talking about Coach K and what, why he uh, did this and that, I think he had the perfect reaction, and I think that's what every coach should be doing instead of reacting to what the media says may or may not have happened. Hey, Are you hey guys... can, can, oh, I was going to say, I, 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 can I go back, um, the two things I want to talk about regarding what caused this. You know, like, sure. uh, hey, Jason, put on your amateur psychiatrist ha- hat, you know, like I, like I have any freaking idea what caused it. But having said that, I have no freaking idea what caused it. I'm going to talk about what caused it because um, that's just how I roll. So the first thing I want to mention is the phantom foul in the Tennessee State game, um, which sort of thrust Grayson into this um, spotlight. Uh, you know, uh, national conversation about Duke gets all the calls and, and Grayson Allen, the All-American, gets the benefit of all the calls because of some really stupid ESPN announcers. And I think it was Doris Burke. Um, they're watching the replay of, of this play against Tennessee State where Grayson Allen is rushing full speed toward the basket. And as he goes up, his foot gets hit by one of the Tennessee State players. And when you are going full speed at the basket, and you get touched at all, it impacts you. It, it, it throws your body off. But the stupid, stupid ESPN announcers don't see the foot get hit. They just see that they, they're just like looking at the top half of both the players' bodies, and they go, there's no foul there. How did the refs call a foul? Well, the refs called a foul because contact was made and it threw Grayson Allen to the ground, you idiots. But this becomes like this thing. Because Doris Burke or whoever it was said, there's no foul there. I can't believe this. Duke gets all the... Because she makes a thing out of this, everyone starts talking about it. And I think for Grayson Allen, it probably set him on edge a little bit. That like suddenly he, he does nothing wrong. He gets bumped. His foot bumps into a guy while he's on a fast break. And, and I could see it being a no call. You know, fine. But it wasn't like no contact occurred, which is what ESPN implied. And I wonder and, if Grayson was sort of like, oh, my God, now, you know, suddenly I'm in the spotlight again for for the wrong reasons. Go ahead. And it's not like it's not like when he, um, you know, when he reacted and got the foul call and everything, it's not like he sold it in such an outrageous way. Um, it was it, if you're going to blame anyone for making a bad call, it's the refs, um, you know, exactly. Players, it's not his players fault. Overreact, yeah. players, players overreact to contact all the time. That's just part of the game. Um, and, and Grayson Allen has a particularly aggressive style of play that, that dictates that, you know, he's going to, he's going to launch towards the basket pretty fast and from pretty far away. And if he gets touched in midair, I don't know what that feels like because I can't jump nearly that high. Um, I imagine that, that it, it would affect the way that you land on the ground. And then, and then he, he got that foul call and just kind of got up and took his foul shots. He, he didn't, he didn't crow about it. He didn't, you know, he didn't make a huge display. 
Um, but because it's him and nobody else, um, it, it sort of got blown out of proportion the next day by, you know, again, general college basketball media. Um, and right. And, and as you say, it's, it, it wasn't really his fault. No. And, and so the, the other thing I want to talk about is um, I was really struck by um, the, the tweets and comments we heard from reporters, folks from ESPN and elsewhere who, who have met Grayson Allen, who know Grayson Allen a little bit. Um, they all like to a man, they all describe him as a guy who off the court is really quiet, very respectful. They say he's almost shy. He works really, really hard in the classroom. This is a guy who's on course to graduate from Duke in three years as a psychology major. He's an academic All-American. He went to an elite prep school where he was, uh, where he graduated cum laude. He had great grades in high school. He has great grades at Duke. Um, this is a guy who, who he is on the basketball floor and who he is off the court appear to be two very, very different people. And I wonder a little bit if he hasn't learned that he needs to turn up his intensity and his competitive fire to become a great basketball player. And, you know, maybe that isn't really who he is. And maybe that's part of why he can't control it as well on the court. Maybe that's why these incidents sort of happened to him. Because this isn't, you know, there are plenty of guys out there who are aggressive players on the floor. And then you see them off the floor, off the court in real life. And they're the same kind of guy. And for Grayson Allen, I think it's 180 degrees different. He, uh, you know, who he is um, when he's not playing basketball uh, like his hair's on fire, and uh, which is how Grayson Allen plays and how he needs to play. Um, and and I, I wonder if maybe because of that, it's harder for him to control this competitive fire that drives him when he's when he's on the court. Um, and and you have to wonder a little bit um, as he gets this under control. Does it affect his game at all? I sure hope not, because God, he is a wonderful, wonderful, amazing player to watch. But I don't know. So that, that's the other thing that I sort of wonder about. That's that's all I got on this this crazy. I mean, you see that you see that a lot in sports, uh, not just basketball, um, where guys are quiet off the court, but like when they step on the court or on the field, um, they ha- it's like a switch, and they know that they're the intensity that is required there is a lot different than the intensity that's required in life. We actually talk a lot about the opposite where, especially in, in, the, in, in football, where people, where players carry that intensity off the court, off the field into their daily life and messes up. It's something. a bad so, thing. Yeah, right. It's a really bad uh, thing. And it's a really yeah. bad thing on that side. So I, I, I don't want to fault him for being quiet off the court and being uh, aggressive on the court because a lot of players do that and they do it very well. Um, and I think that is part of, I think all this is part of be, of becoming a man. Like he, he's, he's 21 years old, 22 years old. Um, and he's still learning. And I think that's, that's fine. Problem is he's learning in, in the, in the scope of, you know, 200 million people basically denouncing his every move, uh, uh, every, every single day. So, um, that's obviously something that none of us can really relate to. Um, but it's, it's still something that he's going to learn about. And, and this is going to be hopefully a lesson that he can take and, and, and build his character going forward. All right. I think we've we've covered the Grayson Allen story. Are you guys satisfied? And can we move on to UNC? Oh, yes. UNC. Yeah, you're, on, you're up next. Oh, All boy. Right. <laughs> so 
uh, on Thursday, amid all the um, amid all the madness of the Grayson Allen story, uh, it came out that UNC was receiving a third notice of allegations related to the cheating scandal of theirs that may have started as far back as 1993, um, continued as long as 2011, perhaps, uh, involving um, some fraudulent courses, mostly in the African American Afro and African American studies department. Um, it touched a lot of different athletic programs and the NCAA has, had, has struggled um, to really get a grasp of this, both because the scope is so wide and because UNC has, has kind of um, stonewalled at, at every opportunity. Um, they've <laughs> paid a lot of lawyers a lot of money to, um, to have this thing drag out and, and hopefully go away. Um, the, so the latest, um, the latest NOA sort of is the NCAA's pushback against UNC's um, uh, attempt to sort of throw the whole thing out for, for procedural issues and because they think that the NCAA is overstepping their bounds. And um, before I get too detailed into it, I would like to throw it to Jason Evans, our resident UNC cheating scandal uh, expert, and in, I would say enthusiast. Um, so Jason, why don't you just give us your take <laughs> on, on, what, on the news this week from UNC that sadly Grayson Allen has been overshadowing, but, but is, a big news in college, is big news in college basketball. Well, um, like the previous notice of allegations, there are five charges labeled against UNC here, and four of them are largely the same, um, but one of them has been changed, and has been changed in a in such a significant, significant way. Um, uh, there used to be a charge of failure to monitor um, that said, oh, UNC didn't do a good job monitoring its academic you know, uh, uh, progress, uh, academic advising guys. Um, that charge has been changed, and it now is a charge of unethical conduct and extra benefits. And let me tell you, unethical conduct and extra benefits is a heck of a lot worse than failure to monitor. And I want to read you guys 24 words. I counted 24 words that changed everything. You ready for them? Here they are. In the amended notice of allegations, the NCAA says, quote, many at-risk student-athletes, particularly in the sports of football and men's basketball, use these courses for the purposes of ensuring their continuing NCAA academic eligibility. Many football and bat men's basketball players use these courses to stay eligible. That is what the NCAA has said. Now, that's what all of us knew. We were all aware of that. You had to have been hiding under a rock not to know that that's exactly what this whole thing has been about for the past 20 plus, 30 plus years. It's been about taking uh, UNC football and basketball players and making it easy for them to stay eligible. They don't have to worry about going to classes because that just doesn't matter to UNC. Well, now the NCAA has finally, finally actually stated what this thing is about. And what this thing is about is something that is really, really bad for UNC in terms of the penalties that are going to come down. It, it, if that line stays, if they don't find a way, if UNC doesn't find a way to argue some silly jurisdictional or procedural argument to change that line, 
Student athletes in the sports of football and men's basketball use these courses for the purposes of ensuring their NCAA eligibility. If that does not change, there is absolutely no question that uh, NCAA title banners for the basketball team go away, that wins, that bowl games, all this stuff goes away for football and basketball. You're talking about taking probably close to a decade of wins and they disappear. And Jason, did you see because- the Jason? Did you see the updated um, timeline that they're investigating now um, for this NOA? It goes from yeah, the 2002. fall of 2002 to the spring of 2011. So that's two men's basketball championships in that time. 2005 and 2009. 2005 and 2009 right. banners. Th- this this charge puts those banners squarely in the spotlight, squarely in the crosshairs, I should say. Um, yeah, I, I I don't see how you can say okay. Uh, we are accusing you. We are saying that the evidence says that you did this to make your athletes stay eligible. That's what this line says. I don't see how the NCAA looks at that line and as part of the punishment doesn't say, by the way, those ineligible athletes, because they're not eligible if they don't take these classes, those ineligible athletes, um, any game they participated in did not happen. If you won that game, it, it's, a, it's, it's, it's vacated. It's forfe- not forfeited, but it doesn't exist. Um, and and uh, th- this this is terrible news for Carolina. And thank God, thank God that they were so stupid because what they had done. Everyone says everyone knows the story now about how this happened, how this change happened. Um, UNC made some arguments to the enforcement committee, to the enforcement folks at the NCAA, and they said, you know, you're not really able to judge classes, and and so you can't do these kind of things. And the the enforcement agency bought those arguments from UNC. Um, and so that's why we had the, the, second amend, the first amended notice of allegations um, uh, that, that was really weak. And, and this is the one that came out over the summer, and all of us went, oh, my God, they're not going to do anything to, to UNC. We were, we were horrified at it. Um, and, and UNC had won at that point, but winning wasn't enough for them. They, wanted, they, they, they then wanted to have this argument for, before the Committee of Infractions, this procedural hearing. Um, and at that procedural hearing, UNC showed so much hubris and was so sort of arrogant in how they were making their arguments that the Committee on Infractions said, wait a second, screw you. We're going back and we are revising things. And, um, and that's why UNC is in this bad situation now. And I think it is clear that the Committee on Infractions, which, by the way, is made up of, uh, of some former coaches, of athletic directors, of university presidents. It's made up of the teams that play against UNC. And, and that's how it should be. It's your peers. And those are the folks who went, wait a second, you cannot bully us around, Carolina. You cannot tell us that this was not about making al- athletes eligible by having them take BS classes. And the Committee on Infractions has already decided. Um, they've decided that they're going to bring the hammer down in Carolina. And good for them. Because the, the enforcement agency at, uh, at the NCAA clearly decided it it was not prepared to, to, to take that action. But the Committee on Infractions, they're, they're, they're going to bring it. And, and I can't wait. Now, it's probably six months away from happening, at least. But when it happens, it's going to be bad. All right, I'll stop for well, a second. Well, there's a, there's a, there's a three-month time for uh, 90 days for UNC to respond to the current allegations, even though um, they, they came out very briefly with, a, with, uh, with some words. Bubba Cunningham, the AD, said uh, 
and I, I have, the, have the quote here, I think it makes it really difficult for my institution that's going to face a group that can act as the in investigator, the prosecutor, and the judge. I think it's patently unfair, and I think that we need to consider not just in this case, but on a national basis, this entire infractions process. So he's he's a little peeved at, at the way this whole thing has gone down, and, and certainly you can understand um, his frustration with it. But um, but as you said, it, no, it, it'll no. be many months still. No, it, well, just just to say that it, it, it'll be it'll be a while now before they before they really sort this out because UNC continues to have this attitude towards the infractions committee that what they're doing is is wrong, not based on the you know the the specific allegations, but based on their jurisdiction and all these things. And, and go ahead, react to that. <laughs> yeah, uh, Bubba Cunningham, have you no shame? I can't None. believe. I can't believe he. He comes out with a statement. He doesn't deny anything. UNC has never once said these things didn't happen. All they've argued no, is, because, oh yeah, these things happened, but you can't punish them for punish us for them. But you can't I, catch I, us. <laughs> it it is right. it's so offensive. It is just oh, I I can barely even speak about it. I can't believe that Bubba Cunningham's statement was all about jurisdictional issues and, and, oh, they shouldn't have changed the charges. He doesn't deny a thing. He just says, just says the NCAA shouldn't be allowed to punish UNC. He has no shame. He has no shame, and it's, it's offensive. All right, go ahead, Donald. Your, your reaction. So, first of all, shout out the NCAA for the uh, Thursday afternoon Griss and Allen news dump um, and just kind of throwing <laughs> this out there, um, thinking we weren't going to find it. Yo, NCAA, we were going to find this one. Uh, I'm pretty sure Jason Evans has a uh, a Google alert set up anytime UNC and notice allegations pops up on the internet. Um, but uh, like, I, I it was weird. We were we I know before this podcast we were all talking about uh, uh, how we're going to react to this Grayson Allen story, and then boom, we're like, oh well, this podcast just got more interesting. Um, so I, I think the the one thing to unpack is this: like for the fan outside of UNC. I feel like we've been talking about this thing for the better part of a decade. Uh, I mean, even like four days ago, they released those allegations against Rutgers. Um, and they're probably going to finish that one up, it feels like, faster than this will come to resolution. I mean, we've heard in, in just this year, the NCAA has released not a uh, notice of allegations against Baylor, um, uh, who was it, Louisville, Rutgers, uh, and I think even Notre Dame. Notre, Dame. Notre Dame. And I think they might have finally f finished that Boise State stuff from like a few years back, like the little small, like, like hey, we, we took a kid out to dinner that we shouldn't have, like that type of thing. Um, and, and still this thing lingers. And so I, I'm glad that they reinstituted this stuff against the uh, basketball team and the football team because, as you guys said, this is exactly why we're here um, as, as – um, as Marshawn Lynch would say, you know why we're here. Um, the, it's just, it seems ridiculous that one, that this has taken so long for them to finally arrive at what we already knew was, had been happening for the better part of 20 years. And two, I don't understand why UNC continues to be defiant about this. Like they, I, I was looking at their cute little website about their commitment to excellence and, and, and how they have a response and, that response is going to win the day. And I'm like, yo, man, like, you literally let guys cheat for two decades. Like, if you think about it, like, it just just it, begrudgingly put yourself in the foot of a kid who is just a normal UNC student. Just the fact that they're, that people are clowning them and they had nothing to do with this, 
the fact that there's players on this team or whatever, like next year or the year after, who legitimately can say that they had nothing to do with this. And they're going to be punished for it because for two decades, UNC has prided the Carolina way and people bought into it. And when the, the, when the Hasa cards fell, they were standing on the ashes saying, nope, we're still safe. We're still covered. And I think that just kind of shows why the NCAA just needs to go ahead and just like lay the Thor hammer. Like, just go ahead and just blow it all up. Let them start over. Let them pick up pieces because clearly they have no problem with standing on the ashes in of a, of a burnt down house of cards and still saying that they uh, have shelter. Um, I think that this sort of mentality is one that is problematic because if the NCAA lets this slide even a little bit, then it is clear that any big time program further down the road can do anything and still be like, well, you guys didn't, you guys let UNC off the hook. And I think that's, I think that's bad. I, I think, I mean, just to put it in one word, that is bad. Like we're talking about academic in- integrity here. And we're talking about it in the form of athletes. And this is not something that, oh, you know, we can sit here and say it's, it's something that it's uh, more of a, of unknown rule. Everyone knows you're supposed to be in school. You're supposed to remain eligible. And we have movies that talk about academic integrity and how it fluctuates with a football program. Um, but we, ne- or, or even a basketball program, if you, if you're thinking about blue chips, but we never talk about it in real life. We never think that something like this could happen on such a large scale for such a long time. And I think the NCAA, I think the, the kicking the can down the road, I think that's done. We, we have the notice of allegations. This is the third one. This is the strongest one. They cannot back down from this because if they do, we understand the score and we know what's going to happen. The NCAA needs to react. They need to react harshly and they need to react swiftly because after six years, the end is near. They need to go ahead. After, you know, they have the 30 day, 90 days to respond, and I think 90 days after that to issue the results and, and, the, and the punishment. So we're coming back to you guys in April or May. Whenever that, whenever that uh, time scale, or, or June, I guess, whenever that time scale is. But you guys better be ready, NCAA, because the time is now. We can't kick the can down the road anymore. There should not be a fourth notice of allegations. This is it. And if you guys think that this is what's going on in the program, if that, and what this is uh, the, the score here, then you need to go ahead and end this, because college basketball deserves it. Uh, I think these UNC, honestly, I'm, I'm speaking for these UNC players here, that they're playing on this current team and next year's team. They deserve to know what's going on so they can figure out their future as well. And every single person who proudly, for some reason, carries a UNC degree and is against this, they, their, their integrity is in the balance too because they're sitting there applying to jobs, they're applying to schools, and their whole academic institution is being questioned. And I think that is unfair to the college student. Um, as a, in, in addition just to the entire ACC. I think the time is now. I think I'm done rambling, but NCAA, do your job. Well, I, Jason, I, think, we should point out, yeah, I, I think we should point out that the, this is sort of the first time we've heard from the Committee on Infractions, that uh, everything we've heard thus far from the NCAA was from the NCAA investigators um, and, and, and the allegations and the such that were initially labeled, uh, leveled against UNC 
were, were not something that came from the Committee on Infractions. I think this is the first time that the Committee on Infractions has actually weighed in on this. And Bubba Cunningham is right about something. The Committee on Infractions, in this case, is the judge, jury, and executioner. But you know what? That's how the NCAA rules work. That's the way this process happens. And the judge, jury, and executioner has clearly said, here are what we want the charges to look like. And now they will hear back from UNC. UNC will probably make more procedural and jurisdictional arguments because UNC has never once denied that these things actually happened. And UNC will make those procedural and jurisdictional arguments and the Committee on Infractions will laugh at them and then it will hammer them. And it will take away titles, probably in multiple sports. My bet is you're going to see titles taken away, not just in men's basketball, but in women's soccer. And you'll see ACC titles and things like that taken away in other sports. Um, and and they, will, they will put many UNC programs, I think, including football and men's basketball and women's basketball, will be put on probation. We'll, not, we'll probably get postseason bans um, and, and probably scholarship reductions as well. Uh, but, oh, but side the, note, the, please believe, please believe that UNC, uh, this is my prediction, whenever the actual final punishments come out, please believe that UNC will be so petty that they will sue in federal court. Guarantee that's going to happen. Uh, yes, they probably will, but... Um, they're not going to win, but that's exactly what they're going to do. Yeah, the, the courts, the, uh, so I read a little bit about this. The courts are really reluctant to take action against voluntary organizations. That's what the NCAA is. The NCAA, all members of the NCAA are members of the NCAA at their own volition. They, 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 they've said, yes, I want to be part of this organization. Um, and uh, the rules of voluntary organizations like that are things that, that the federal courts have always been very, very reluctant to interfere in. Um, a voluntary organization operates under its own rules. Uh, and, that's what, and the NCAA is absolutely following its own rules here. And the other thing I would point out is, once this happens, uh, if UNC sues, uh, it has the potential to delay this even longer. Um, uh, the the uh, Roy Williams has spoken about how much this has impacted recruiting. Look at UNC's recruiting class for next year. The guys they've signed for for 2017 in basketball. They've got Jalik Felton who's related to Raymond Felton, who's a good prospect. He's, he's a top 25, top 30 kid. He's a really nice prospect. Not great, but he's a good prospect. The other three guys that they've signed for next year, none of them are even ranked in the top 100. These are the kind of recruits that, that UNC usually wouldn't even th- dream of signing, wouldn't even think about possibly bringing into place. I mean, Duke has guys like, uh, like Javin Delorier and Alex O'Connell, who are sort of top 50 recruits. That we bring in, we're sort of like, yeah, okay, you're sort of you're filling out the roster, and maybe you'll develop over time. UNC's bringing in guys who don't don't even dream of being players in that category, and that's who UNC has for next year. If if Carolina sues and makes this thing go on and on and on because the federal courts move really, really, really slowly, then all they do is they make it even harder for them to recruit going forward. Um, if anything. Roy Williams and Larry Fedora want to get this behind them, even if it means postseason ban, even if it means scholarship reductions. I think they just want it finished. And that may be the message that they take to Bubba Cunningham. And they may say, look, yeah, this is unfair. This is bad. They shouldn't have done this to us. Don't sue. Don't, don't delay the process even longer. It, you're killing us. 
um, because we are rapidly reaching the point where the Carolina basketball team, at least, is just not going to have that many good players left. You, you look at the guys, you look at their freshman, sophomore classes right now. It's, there's not a lot there. I hope the NCAA yeah, I, makes I, them turn in the uh, 2012 uh, ACC Coastal Championship rings that they uh, made. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, Those ones yeah. that they made when they didn't actually win the I, division. I, I don't see that happening, but, um, but, but that certainly would be entertaining. <laughs> Um, all right, let's uh, let, let, let's wrap up here. I think we've we've uh, we've beaten the uh, the nail on on UNC uh, quite a bit. Um, so we'll wrap up this week. Normally we do a player of the week, but since it's Christmas, uh, we wanted to mix it up a little bit. And I think we may have done this in the past. Um, we're going to each bestow a gift upon the Duke basketball program or any member of the program. Um, I will start with Jason. Jason, what is your gift? Uh, for the Duke program this Christmas 2016. All right, so I'm going first, which is nice because mine is obvious. Um, what I bestow upon the Duke program is health. I don't, think, I don't even know that I need to expand on it that much. I, I bestow health in 2017 upon the Duke basketball program. And by health, I mean Grayson Allen's toe won't bother him. Jason Tatum will be, you know, at full strength. So will Harry Giles. So will Marcus Bolden. We won't have to deal with any other lingering, nagging injuries. We will have a healthy 2017. And that is my gift for the program. And, and my bet is that's the thing the program wants more than anything, anything, anything else. Donald? So that was my uh, first gift uh, if I had gone first. So um, I naturally ah. came up with a second one. <laughs> um, and the second one focuses on Luke Kennard. Um, I wish for him continued success uh, from the mid-range and from three-point land. Um, his, from three-point land, he's doing really well. He's shooting 40, almost 43% from three-point. But he is shooting an otherworldly 62% from 15 to 19 feet. Um, you never hear of anybody shooting greater than 50% uh, from that range. And he's shooting 62%, um, which is astounding. Um, that is the reason why he's playing so well, and that's the reason why I think he uh, should be mentioned among the Player of the Year candidates uh, nationally. Um, hopefully, this will continue, and I, I wish for him, because I think right now he is, he, his scoring has been uh, one of our greatest successes. And I think if that continues... Um, is going to allow the rest of the team to flow. Um, and and for these freshmen who have been injured, as you said, uh, to recover and, and come along slowly and not have the pressure on them. Great, uh, Grace Nallen uh, will be out a little bit. Luke Kennard's scoring is going to be more important than ever. So uh, for 2017, I wish for continued success for him uh, from anywhere from 15 to beyond three, uh, because I think that's going to be necessary. You know, by the way, Donald, uh, so last season – there were numerous times that we commented, I commented especially, um, that uh, Luke Kennard was having an unusually bad shooting season, mm -hmm. that, that you could tell from his form, from his reputation, from everything we knew about him, that last year he shot 32% from three. And I think coming into this season, one of the things we mentioned um, was it, it, the law of averages said he was bound to have a better year this year to balance out what, what last year was. Uh, an, an aberration of a season in terms of his shooting percentages. He has exceeded even my wildest expectations in that regard. 
Um, yeah, you're right. He's, he's ridiculously automatic um, with his shot. Uh, for a guy that takes as many um, long-distance shots as he does to hit, right now he's hitting 52% of his shots in the season. That's crazy. That's a mm-hmm. crazy number for a, for a shooting guard. Right. Um, yeah. All right. I'm going to wrap it up here with uh, my gift to the program, which is a little more focused. I want one really big blowout victory of Virginia Tech next week, and we'll, we'll preview the, the upcoming ACC slate uh, in an episode next week. But I want a big blowout against Virginia Tech. I want Harry Giles and Jason Tatum to be featured in that game. Um, I want to see the team kind of coming along the way that we expected them to, uh, and, and I want to see evidence of that. Um, as we mentioned before, we haven't had that that hundred point scoring effort yet, and um, it would be uh, it would be great to see that. So um, that's what I'm wishing for. Anything else from you guys before we wrap up here um, for this uh, Christmas episode? Yeah, I want to remind folks and remind you guys. Um, I, you know, I started out <laughs> this podcast talking about. You know, oh my God, it feels a little bit like this team is cursed. It feels like everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. Um, I, I want to take us back to the early days of the podcast. Um, in January of 2015, it felt like nothing was going right for Duke. Um, uh, recall that uh, Rashid Suleiman was kicked off the team, um, and, and he was our sixth man. He was our depth. Um, and we were forced to play zone because we couldn't play. We were so bad at man-to-man that we had to play zone. And we were looking Jolly at the schedule Okafor and had, desperately. I was going to say Jolly Locafor had fallen off and, and Justice Winslow was hurt that we like, couldn't comprehend. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we were looking at the schedule and we were desperately searching for a game that Coach K could win for his thousandth victory. Remember, it took him like three tries to win his thousandth game. We thought... That I mean, if ever the wheels were coming off, the wheels were coming off. And then it all came together really, really nicely, didn't it? Um, and, and I feel like I really, really want to believe that uh, we are right now at the moment that Duke was about three weeks from now in 2015. Um, and that things are as bad and as bleak as things look. And how, how can things be bleak for a team that's only lost one game all year? <laughs> I don't know. But as bad and as bleak as things look right now, for this 12 and one team that everyone agrees is still the national title favorite. I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm with that last wish that Christmas gift, Sam, I think things are about to change and they're about to get all a right. heck of a lot better. All right. Let's uh, let's hope that all comes true. Um, so for, to all of you uh, have a Merry Christmas, have a happy holiday season and a, uh, and a sweet new year. Um, from for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, I'm Sam Klein. This is the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We'll talk to you very soon. Duke fan, take us home. <laughs>